There are lots of things that are distinctive. You can have someone tell you that you have a distinct odor about you, right? You can have someone say your nose is very distinctive. Uh, neither one of those things are things that I want people to say about me. But God has called us as a church, and the Bible tells us that a church must be distinct. God's really challenged my heart with these ideas from uh, a chapter in the book, Church in Hard Places. See, when we think about God, it's important for us to balance our view with Scripture. And some things in Scripture make us uneasy. They challenge us as modern-day thinkers. They make us a little bit squeamish. And looking in an overview of the Bible, it's clear that the story is about God's love for his people, but also his wrath towards his enemies. Ugh, man, I don't like that second part. That crushes my little millennial heart, right? That doesn't seem like it's very inclusionary. His love towards his people, but his uh, wrath towards his enemies. We don't like to dwell on the parts in the Bible about the fear of God or his wrath. But it is clear in Scripture that God makes a line of distinction between God's friends and God's enemies. I don't like that. I don't like saying that. There are people that are God's people and there are people that aren't. And we must all make a personal choice where we stand. See, that distinction happened right at the beginning of mankind. In the beginning, God designed a perfect world where man was in fellowship with God constantly. But Adam and Eve made a choice, and they were put out of the garden for breaking God's law. And God put a barrier around the garden with an angelic guard. But although they were out of the garden where God walked, talked, and fellowshiped with them, God graciously still accepted Adam and Eve as friends. And since then, we have each had a choice to accept or reject God. Next, we see in the story that God established a covenant with Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham to create uh, from his descendants a new people, people that belong to the Lord, a new race. He restated this in uh, chapter 17 of Genesis in verse 7. He says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after, uh, after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan, the promised land for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God established a relationship with Israel that was distinct from all other people. There were those that were God's people and there were those that were not. Circumcision was given as this clear sign of distinction. It was not just a physical attribute, but a spiritual one as well. They were set apart. They were different. He goes as far to say in Genesis 12, 3, he says, I will bless those that bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. I will bless those that bless you. And him that dishonor, uh, dishonors you, I will curse. That's a pretty clear line in the sand. 
And then God gave them the Levitical law. And this established that there was a standard of holiness for God's people. Clothes, food, worship, all these attributes, God's people set them apart from the rest of the world. And circumcision and keeping the law were the lines where God's people and God's enemies were separated. Now, there were provisions for the people from other countries and nationalities to come in, but it was not common. Moses and Joshua repeatedly told the nation of Israel to remain separate and pure as they went into the promised land. God didn't want them to become like the people that were around them. They were supposed to be different and separate and distinct. Joshua 23, 11 says, Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. All that victory and all that opportunity that God gave you uh, and, the, and the winds of these battles... He says, I'm not going to drive these nations out before you if you become like those pagan nations. It says, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you and a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. In the book, Church in Hard Places, the author says this. He says, in many ways, the story of Israel is the story of their failure to maintain this distinction. Beginning with the book of Judges, the Old Testament histories chronicle how idolatry and other sins made the Israelites indistinguishable from the surrounding nations. And by the time of Israel's exile, only a remnant remained faithful. And since Israel lived and worshipped like a pagan nation, God sent them off to live among pagan nations. And since the spiritual borders had vanished, he did away with the physical borders of the land. It was no longer clear who was in and who was out. See, God loves everyone, but it's a serious thing to reject an almighty God. Now, the New Testament is all about the story of God sending his son to create a new people for himself. The church, now both Jews and Gentiles, because of Christ's work, are invited in to be God's people. 1 Peter 2.10 says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Those of you who are at one time were out, now are in. Praise the Lord for that. But now instead of physical circumcision or nationality, believers identify themselves through baptism. Baptism signifies their identification with a crucified and a risen Christ. See, the coming of Christ and his resurrection, his crucifixion, it changed everything. And the Old, prophet, Old Testament prophets knew that this change was coming. Jeremiah 31, 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them 
Before he gave it on the tablets of stone and things that they could look at. Next, he says, I'll put that, this new law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. This verse is quoted uh, pretty much word for word again in Hebrews 8, 11. There was a promise of a new covenant that was different, a new law that was written on hearts, all people included, no distinction between the races. But even in the New Testament, God continues to make a distinction between his people and those that reject him. Jesus is the shepherd, the Bible tells us, and he knows his sheep and his sheep know him. For there are those that aren't sheep, the Bible says. They're goats. It's getting real heavy here in a second. You're going to see why. I did break the tension there. Uh, Matthew 25, 31 tells us one day there will be this ultimate distinction. Jesus is speaking. He says, when the Son of Man comes into his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And then will, uh, the king say to his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But verse 41 says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This is not politically correct. This is not warm and fuzzy. This is not an easy thing to say. This isn't a message that we like to hear, but it's pulled right out of scripture. There are some that are in and some that are out. And at the coming of Jesus, this Final distinction will be made. God will make a final and a clear separation. And on that day, all of mankind will see who dwells among God's people and who does not. This is a solemn and a sobering thought. And these thoughts first should have us check our standing before God. And secondly, it should motivate us and invigorate us to make sure that we shine our gospel light as bright as possible. But what else does it mean for us today? Well, not only is it important for us to emphasize salvation and baptism as distinctions of our faith, but also church membership. Church membership is often misunderstood and underemphasized as part of our Christian walk. But my proposal to you today is God has a history of making distinction with his people. And I believe the scripture says the same thing about church membership. There was a time when two church members lied to the church and the Holy Spirit about a commitment that they had made to the church. They wanted everyone to see what good Christians they were. But in reality, they didn't even do what they were telling everybody they did. And God took it very seriously. And Ananias and Sapphira uh, fell dead right there in the church building. Acts 5.11 says what happens afterwards, which I think uh, you could probably uh, very much relate to. These two people fell dead because they lied to the Holy Spirit and they lied to the church. 
Verse 11 says, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them. But the people held them in high esteem. The word there, join, in the Greek means to bind closely, to join together, to unite. People saw how serious this thing called church was and how serious God takes his commitments. And we see many did not join with them because they were worried that they might suffer the same fate. Joining together with the church means a higher accountability to God. The Bible also equates being put out of the church to being given over to Satan. It's a personal hell to be a Christian living outside of the church. Now, you won't lose your salvation, but you're basically dipping yourself in chum and jumping over the uh, side of a boat into shark-infested waters. It was always intended that every Christian be joined together as a church, just like a uh, body member is joined to a body. The church is meant to be distinct. In 2 Corinthians 2.6, Paul talks also about how we are accountable to each other as well when we join together as a church. What you do affects me. What I do affects you. There's also a sobering thought in Hebrews 13.17 where it says this. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Here it says that we are accountable to church leaders when we join together with the church. You see these clear things that only function, they only happen if you're joined together with a local church. Now, if you're here today and you're just checking the church out, like this is not a message pointed at you. And if you've only been with us a little while, that's okay. But ultimately, whether it's this church or another church, God intends for you to join somewhere and to be intertwined together and to be part of a body. So we see that we join together with the church and we step into higher accountability to God, higher accountability to each other, and higher accountability to church leaders. We also see that the metaphors about the church in Scripture have one very obvious thing in common. Each one of these word pictures shows us far more than a casual commitment to each other. The first is a body, a flock of sheep, and a house. Body parts don't just randomly disappear, at least mine don't. But body parts don't just randomly disappear for months. Sheep don't hop from, hop, uh, from flock to flock based on their feelings. Bricks are cemented together to form a house. And participation in a church family was never meant to be casual or informal. We are meant to be a living, breathing organism that is so intertwined that it would take major surgery to separate us. There's a, such a close connection between you and I as a church family. When one of us is stuck in sin, it's a problem for all of us. And that's why the Bible outlines a process of church discipline. This isn't meant to embarrass anyone, but to bring reconciliation and to bring repentance. 
1 Corinthians 5 tells us there may be a time where we have to remove someone from among us. Ouch, I don't want to do that. That sounds terrible, right? And some things like that, that's not an easy thing to do. But it's necessary for the health of the church and for the benefit of the person in question. Why? Because sin hurts us. How many times have you seen a Christian or a church member do something that you thought to yourself, if that's the kind of people that that church is made up of, I don't want any part of it. That's a problem. Our witness as a church is hurt when we don't stand against sin amongst our own family. Drunkenness, adultery, immoral business practices, living as a man and a wife without being married, these are all problems for the church because we are called to be distinct and separate and different. A church depends on this distinctiveness. What good is salt if it's lost its flavor? What good is light if it's lost its brightness? We are meant to be distinct. And many of the problems that we see in the American church today is that the people around us don't see any difference in the way that we live. But people are messy. And if we have to be perfect to be a part of a church, then none of us need to apply, right? We cannot wait for people to completely clean up their lives before admitting them into church membership, or we have no church members. But we need to be able to affirm a credible profession of faith and repentance. A man living with his girlfriend will need to move out. A drug dealer will need to give up his trade. But we don't require perfection of the people joining our churches. But what we do require, we require them to take up the fight against sin, to repent. And there may most likely be a time where there might have, uh, we might have someone be an attender for a long while until they're able to fix some real problems and then become a member. And that's awesome. That's great. To be absolutely clear, every church ought to welcome all to attend, but it's a higher accountability to be a member. Our goal is to shepherd everyone in the church. And that means sometimes there's some hard things that we've got to do. We need to understand the seriousness of claiming to be a follower of Christ. We need to understand the importance of our church family. We need to submit to godly leadership and accountability. And we need to be able to see the difference between the church and the world. Now, it's very tempting for me to just be that pastor that uh, plasters a smile on his face all the time and just tells jokes and uplifting stories all the time, and repeats, Jesus loves you and everything's going to be okay. That would be way easier. We'd probably grow. I could get rich maybe one day. It would be awesome. And Jesus does love you. But if that's all I say, I'm not preaching the whole authority of the Bible. And ultimately, that's a false gospel. God has always called his people to be distinct, to be different, and to claim his name with respect and soberness. And praise the Lord that he calls all of us to be inside of his family. 
And we should mourn for, uh, for those that are rejecting Christ and pray that God would help us be an example to them of what the gospel means and how it makes us different. And when we interact as a church with each other, as the Bible lays out for us, it will be the most beautiful thing that we have ever seen. It will be hard, but we'll finally be able to say, this is how Christ established the church to work. And we will see Christ uh, move in an amazing way and people drawn to this church just because of how we love each other. But we have to be willing to have those hard conversations out of love, not out of uh, to embarrass or to judge or to put each other down, but to say, hey, this sin is hurting you and it's hurting us. We need to get it right. We should ask ourselves and search our heart for a genuine relationship with Christ. To ask ourselves if we are really part of the family of God. And if the answer is yes, then what makes me distinct from the world? Do I understand what I have in Christ? Am I taking it seriously? Do I take being part of this body called Clarksburg Baptist Church seriously? Am I distinct? Are we distinct? There your heads bowed and eyes closed. Band's going to come. I really struggled with this message this morning because it's not fun to talk about these things at all. But it's important. This morning, let's take some time to allow God to speak to our hearts. First, the question is this, am I part of the family of God? Is there real evidence that I have a relationship with God? I'm not talking about some fantastical you know, experience that you had in your life. I'm talking about, are you exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit? Is there fruit in your life? Do you have a desire to do what's right? Do you feel conviction when you do what's wrong? That's one of the Holy Spirit's uh, greatest actions that he performs in our lives. Not only is he a comforter, but he convicts us when we're wrong. Why? Because sin hurts us. And just like a parent would tell a child to stop playing with matches, the Holy Spirit tells us to stop playing with sin. Do you have those evidences in your life? Do you have a desire to do what's right and to please God with your life? Do you have a desire to get right when you're not pleasing God with your life. And secondly, if you are part of the family of God, are we taking this thing seriously like God wants us to? Does it mean something when we miss large swaths of church attendance? That that hurts us. There's three words that are very important to us here at this church. Gather, grow, and give. 
That first one is gathered like we make a difference. It makes a difference when you're not here. It's not about numbers. It's about being a family. And you worshiping next to somebody could change their day. It could change their week. A couple words of encouragement. Praying with somebody. That can mean everything to somebody. You might miss that sermon, and it might be exactly the one that you needed to hear that day. It changed some things in your life. Are we willing to have the hard conversations with each other? Are we willing to do what the Bible says, even though in our minds, we don't want to do it? Do we really believe that there are some people out there that are rejecting God and that there will be consequences for that? It's not exciting to think about, but it's why God gave us the Great Commission to go, therefore, into all the world and preach the gospel. God is not willing that any should perish. For whatever reason, God gave us this responsibility to tell the world. The Bible says, how can they hear without a preacher? That's you. You don't have to be ordained. You just have to give the gospel. Jesus died on the cross. Cover us from sin. He rose from the dead. Breaking the chains of sin and death forever. Altars open this morning. God spoke to your heart about anything. Maybe you need to get something right with someone else in this room. We've got something against somebody else. We're holding it over their head and we're keeping a list of all the wrongs that they've done to us. We will not have the relationship with Christ that we need to. You might need to go and say, hey, forgive me. I've held some things against you. I'm sorry. I'm not going to let this pull us all down anymore. Maybe you need to go and apologize to somebody and say, hey, I did something to you. Maybe you just need to come down and, and just spend some time this morning with Jesus. You've got some burden on your heart. You've got a sick loved one. You need God to move. Altar's open this morning. You come now.